0: Over the course of the in-person autumn uh, meetings, we'll be looking at Jesus' I Am statements from the book of John. So tonight, I am the bread of life, and I found some amazing pictures of bread when I was preparing this preach for you all. So feast your eyes on these. Ta-da! Looks good. I like the autumnal one, the little leaf. That's nice. Some Instagram-worthy carbs right there. So are you hungry yet? That's my ploy, to get you hungry. It is a 6 p.m. service without snacks, after all. If you are hungry like me, I clearly am, you're in good company. Because today we're going to look at what Jesus says to a crowd of hungry people. So to set the scene for you, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 With just five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, he miraculously caters for over 5,000 people, and there are leftovers. I'm chuffed if I cook for 15 people, and there are leftovers, much less 5,000. So the day after this, that same 5,000 people, or at least some of them, go looking for Jesus. They look on the shores of Galilee, where they had just eaten the night before, and he isn't there. So they all file into boats and go across the sea to the other side, to another city, to see if Jesus is there. And why? Why are they pursuing this man? It's not some super spiritual reason like you might think. It's because, of course, dinner was hours ago. They're hungry again. Free food, free food. We are hungry creatures. God made us that way, and I don't just mean food. We are hungry for the right job, thinking once we have it, then we'll be satisfied. We are hungry for the right partner, thinking once we have a husband or wife to share life with, then we'll be content. We hunger for more money, thinking if we buy enough things to make our lives more comfortable, then we'll be happy. We're hungry for our circumstances to change, for the project to be finished, for the coronavirus pandemic to be over. And we think then we'll be happy, then we'll be content. If you identify with any of these, if you feel hungry for more, then what Jesus said to that crowd 2,000 years ago, he wants to say to you tonight as well. So let's read together starting from John chapter 6, verse 26, and the words should come up on the screen behind me. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. God put a hunger in us that can only truly be satisfied by him. So often, like the hungry crowd, we come to Jesus wanting him to give us the thing that we think will satisfy us. They went looking for Jesus because they wanted another meal, but he wanted to give them so much more. He said in verse 33 the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The crowds were looking for enough to survive the day, and instead, Jesus offered them eternal life. Whatever you're chasing, if it isn't Jesus, it won't be enough. Once you reach that milestone, you'll find another and another, because these things perish. Your career can crumble, but Jesus remains steadfast. Your circumstances can change, but Jesus is always the same. Your relationships can fail, but Jesus never will. He urged us in the passage do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is claiming to be the answer to all of your deepest longings, to all of your greatest hungers. So, the question is, do you trust him? Do you believe he can do what he says he's going to do? In the passage we read, Jesus says that to do the work of God, we must believe the one he has sent. I promise I didn't confer with Nat about this preach. (laughs) I loved his word about God calling us to an act of radical trust, saying, do you trust me? Because when I was praying about what God wanted to say to all of you this evening, he said simply, do you trust me? Naturally, this reminded me of the Disney animated classic, Aladdin. So, there are two scenes in the film, if you haven't watched it, when Aladdin says to Jasmine, ''Do you trust me?'' And in the first, guards have burst into Aladdin's small home in the city. Needing to escape the guards, he reaches out his hand to Jasmine and says the words, ''Do you trust me?'' When she says yes and takes his hand, they jump out of the window, which is several stories up. Questionable decision. The second time he asked Jasmine this, he's dressed as a prince, like so, and standing on a magic carpet, floating over Jasmine's balcony. A very different setting, but the same question asked in the same way, Aladdin invites her to travel the world on his impossibly fast magic carpet. Jasmine asks, is it safe? Aladdin responds like this. With his hand outstretched, do you trust me? She grabs his hand, climbs onto the carpet, and they leave the balcony behind. This is how God asks us this question. With his hand outstretched, ready to pull us into his adventure. I think we sometimes hear the question but fail to see his hand outstretched toward us. God asks, do you trust me? And we say yes, but keep our feet firmly planted on the balcony. We can be so afraid of falling into legalism that we forget trusting God requires action. It means taking steps in his direction. Trusting God isn't just a thought that you hold in your mind. It's not a decision you made once a long time ago. It's a daily active thing. The outstretched hand is important because saying you trust Jesus is easy, but taking that leap of faith out of the window is entirely different. When you're speaking to your friend who you know needs Jesus and you're wanting the courage to tell them about him, Jesus is there with his hand outstretched. Do you trust me? When you're in the middle of temptation and doing something wrong feels like a lot more fun than obedience, Jesus is there with his hand outstretched, do you trust me? When you're struggling to get out of bed in the morning because you just can't face another day, Jesus is there with his hand outstretched saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Jesus is asking you this constantly, daily, with an outstretched hand, inviting you to see and do things you never thought possible. God's been speaking to me a lot recently about the Israelites wandering in the desert. So it was funny when it popped up again in the passage I was asked to preach on. In John chapter 6, verse 48, Jesus says again, So once God had freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, they wandered around in the desert for 40 years. God fed them by miraculously providing bread every morning that was more than enough to feed every person in the camp. This bread is the manna that's mentioned in the passage. The Israelites were instructed only to gather enough for them to eat that day. And to make sure that this happened, any leftovers would spoil overnight. So each day they had to wake up and trust that God would provide bread again and again. And I've been thinking more and more about how it feels like the church is wandering in the desert right now. For several months, we haven't been able to meet all together in this building. And this is great, it's something, but it isn't the same. We can only have 50 of our family here out of 300. We can't have people just coming in off the streets, have our doors wide open. I know we all miss the sound of singing together, of proclaiming the name of God and hearing it reverberate off the walls. For the people of God, this season with coronavirus feels like a desert. But... Our God is the God of the desert too. The same God who led his people through the wilderness, who sent bread down from the sky to feed them, who could see beyond the desert to a much bigger and better plan. He is our God. And even in this desert, Jesus is building his church. He isn't aimless. He isn't pausing his mission because of covid He has promised to build his church. Do you trust him? Don't spend your days waiting for this pandemic to be over so that your life can begin again. Church, God has something for you in this season. This isn't wasted time. He has lessons he wants you to learn here. During worship, when we can't sing together, let God teach you how to Quiet your heart before him. Let him teach you how to listen to his voice. There are still opportunities to practice and use the gifts God has given you. Leadership, prophecy, teaching, words of knowledge, administration. You can still use these gifts that God has entrusted to you. We can grow in our maturity as Christians through perseverance, like Matt was telling us this morning. God has people he wants you to speak to in this season. Maybe even that neighbor that you've been getting to know over the past few months. With Jesus, there is purpose in the desert. King David wrote Psalm 63 when he was hiding in a similar wilderness. Most likely, this was when his son Absalom was trying to kill him and take the throne. David was betrayed by his family, fearing for his life, away from the comforts of home and normal life. And in the middle of this emotional and physical desert, he wrote this. "O oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. How could David's soul be so satisfied when he was in the middle of such chaos and uncertainty. He knew to keep feasting on the bread of life. Wake up every morning determined to get your fill of the one who truly satisfies, the one whose steadfast love is better than life. Everything else could be stripped away from you, but no one can take you from his hand. Chase after the bread of life and let your soul be satisfied as with fat and rich food. In the chapter we've been looking at, John chapter 6, Jesus goes on to describe communion, which Sandy mentioned earlier, where we take bread and wine together. We do this to remember Jesus' death on the cross. And here, Jesus describes communion in extremely graphic terms. He says things like, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. My flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. The crowd listening had no idea that Jesus was in any way referring to bread or wine. But Jesus didn't feel the need to explain himself either, even when they got offended by this. Do you take offense at this, Jesus asked them. And we learn that many of the disciples walked away from him as a result. Taking offense is a sure sign of mistrust. How do you respond when Jesus says something difficult? How do you respond when you read something in the Bible that you don't understand or that you flat out disagree with? When you read something that makes you think, Like the disciples in verse 60, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? How do you respond when Jesus asks you to do something that seems impossible or crazy? My prayer is that you will respond the way Simon Peter does. Jesus asks the 12, do you want to go away as well? After so many other disciples had abandoned him. And Simon answers for them in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The 12 probably found Jesus' description of eating his flesh and drinking his blood just as difficult as the rest of them. The difference is they trusted him. They didn't understand, but that didn't matter. Jesus was and is the only one with the words of eternal life. So if you find yourself offended by something Jesus says or does, remind yourself to trust him. It's an action. Choose to take his hand and follow his lead, even when you're not sure where he's going. So, what are you hungry for? If you're honest with yourself, what do you normally put in this blank? When blank, then I'll be content. Don't believe the lie that this thing is ever going to satisfy you. It will never deliver on its promises but Jesus already has delivered on his. The world was dying of hunger and there was no food, so God gave us Jesus so we could eat and be satisfied. Whatever that thing is that you've been looking to instead of Jesus, you have the opportunity to lay it aside today, to walk away from it and take Jesus' hand instead. I believe there's at least one person here who's realized that actually you've been saying you trust Jesus for years, but your feet have still been planted on the balcony. Jesus is asking you to take that step of faith tonight. He's here with his hand outstretched, saying, do you trust me? I want to urge you not to work for the things that perish. Trust Jesus Take his hand. It continues to be the best decision I have ever made, and I promise you won't regret it. So as we respond, it seems fitting, talking about the bread of life, that we have communion together. Jesus' descriptions of eating his flesh and drinking his blood are really difficult to read. They're grotesque, really. But so was the cross. And I think somehow the imagery of eating human flesh, though it's really cringeworthy, and drinking blood, it captures the brutality of the cross somehow. We have a tendency to romanticize Jesus giving up his life. But it was a grotesque and graphic thing. A body nailed up on planks of wood. An innocent man tortured and humiliated something so gruesome and painful. But a God who is willing to do that for you, you can trust him. Emma and the band are going to come and play for us. Please stay in your seats and the practical team is going to pass around the bread and the juice for you while Emma sings a song over us. And as she sings, I just want to encourage you to sit and reflect. What is Jesus asking you to trust him with? As you sit, prepare your heart to say yes to him. As you take that step of faith when we have communion together, which Sandy will come up and lead us in in a few moments.